We are in the middle of the gratitude series. Thanksgiving is coming up, so we should be grateful. We should be paying more attention to what's going on. And today's topic is a 3,000-year-old marital discussion, heated discussion, that the prophet Samuel wrote down for us. And this may be very helpful to some of you to realize that not only did people in the Bible have marriage arguments, but that other people wrote it down for us. And we really appreciate that. And the thing is, they both kind of had a point. Isn't that how marriage arguments go? If it's going to be a really good argument, you both have to be a little bit right. If it's going to be a great argument, then one of you has to be completely wrong and not want to admit it. You see what I'm saying? So we are talking about gratitude. And I knew this week this was the topic because I'm the one talking about it. And it's talking about raucous celebration. We're quick to complain when something goes wrong. We are quick to be whiny about it, to have anguish. So why not have the equal and opposite reaction when things go right? We can forget God is the God of celebration. All the Old Testament festivals celebrate that the harvest is in because eating is a good thing. Jesus's first miracle was at a wedding to keep the celebration going. So uh, Sabbath, we know if you don't take a Sabbath, you're going to die. It's called overwork. And between blood pressure and stress, our adrenal glands, we need to Sabbath. It's, a, it's an actual real life thing. God is the God of celebrating. God invented the weekend. The way we are all here is one of my favorite inventions from God, right up there with gravity. I knew the topic was raucous celebration in contrast to our anguish. So this week, Wednesday night, laying in bed next to the hot chicks, sound asleep. We have an 8-year-old at our house that we bought and an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. They're all great. And I had a nightmare, the parents' nightmare. I, I almost hate to mention this for some of you. I had the parents' nightmare where the family wasn't safe. And I sat bolt up in bed, just terrified. And I realized it's just a dream. Now, all of you parents know what I did next. I got out of bed, and the dog followed me through the house as we checked on everybody. And everybody was good. You know, you put your hand on the back and they're breathing. Right? Good. One of them wakes up, says, I need water. Say, no, I'm not here. It's a dream. And, <laughs> and then I, I went back to bed and I curl up back around Jenny. She's used to that. And then it's church. And I'm a minister talking about gratitude. So what did I do next? Turn it into a sermon. It's a trouble when you let people from Ohio in. The, the proper answer in church is always Jesus or prayer, right? Can I get an amen? So what, what did I do? I prayed, and I said, thank you, Lord, that that was just a dream. And then, even though I know the topic is raucous celebration, my next line was, help me get back to sleep. And that worked. I was out. I'm old, right? I was gone. And then in the morning, I realized, well, shouldn't I have celebrated? I mean, that's the whole topic of this week. So let's go back 3,000 years. Let's go back 3,500 years to the time of Moses. Big, big shot. That's how the second book of the Bible starts. He was the one that was put into a basket when he was a baby. Moses grew up to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses had this moment where God, where God with God, God, make, God said, 
the Indiana Jones movie, 1981. What was Indiana Jones looking for? Somebody say it louder. I, I, I can see why you're, I just said the answer is always prayer or Jesus, and now I'm going for something else completely. It, it's stressful. I'm with you. Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was a box. It was a fancy box, gold, all kinds of stuff. It's about the size of a dresser. And in it, among other things, were the Ten Commandments. The actual Ten Commandments. Moses went up the mountain. God engraved them. And you come down, and the Ten Commandments are all about what Jesus said the Bible's about. Love God. Love others. And they're in the box. And the presence was, the presence of the box meant that God was with us. What does Emmanuel, Christmas time's coming, what does Emmanuel mean? I realize, I shouldn't have said the answer is always Jesus in prayer. And then you go into a bunch of Q&As. But Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas, if we do Christmas right, the point of Christmas is the, the annual reminder that God is with us, hasn't given up on us yet. Send us the baby. If somebody gives you their baby, they trust you. Can I get an amen? We got the baby. We got the, the baby, the one promised. And he grew up and did all the things, but Christmas is that God is with us and hasn't abandoned us yet. And that's really important to remember when you're in the middle of all the crazy stuff that you people have going on to realize we're not alone, that God is with us. God means for us to have good relationships here on earth. God means for us to do meaningful work. That God means for us to act like a child of God. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, means. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant meant. That was what that box meant. And somewhere in the 500 years between Moses and King David, they lost the box. You ever lose Christmas? Right? You just do the stuff, and you're doing the food and overworking. And back in my radio days, one time, I was driving to my sister's house for Christmas, and I realized, man, I, it's Christmas afternoon, and I don't even, I didn't even, I miss Christmas. I'm not going to allow this again. So in our house, we start playing uh, Christmas songs uh, about June, usually. So works out great. If we lose Christmas, not the, the events, but if we lose the meaning, just like losing the box. God isn't with us. So David had an idea. I want the box back. I want the physical presence of God back. And we'll skip that part. That's this old movie that Prophet Samuel could write, that he wrote down for us. David did it wrong, and people died, and David got mad, and he said, fine, you keep the box, and here we go. We covered all that. It was reported to King David that God had prospered the guy who had the box, Obed, Edom, and his entire household because of the Ark of God. The box, the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of God, there's some other names. So David thought, you get, you get some thoughts sometimes? I'll get that blessing for myself. Can I get an amen? This is the Ark of the Covenant. It is so famous, so popular, so important that they made movies about it. Blockbuster movies. And David, as the king of God's people who should have the box, thought, I'll get that blessing for myself. If you can't just make it by yourself, for, about yourself in seconds, you are not trying. And went and brought up the ark of God to the city of David with great celebration. Now, this should help our Christmas Eve attendance. Usually, when Christmas Eve falls on Sunday night, we skip Sunday morning and just go to Sunday night. We'll see if we do that this year, but... We don't want to miss Christmas Eve. If you're just going to come to, to one, and I've met you people, you're just coming to one, then, then let's do Christmas Eve because we don't want to miss God with us. And it's helpful to remember in this world, we spend our lifetime in the battlefield between good and evil. 
That kind of explains your week, doesn't it? God wins, but not yet. So we need to be reminded that God is with us. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone, how many steps? Six steps. David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. This was, uh, you can just picture the people, right? David, six, we got like 10 miles to go, David. We're going to do this every six steps. We're going to slip and fall in the blood. We didn't bring that many bulls and fattened calves. This was a Sabbath pause. We are supposed to stop and celebrate that God is good. That's what we're supposed to do. Since I had a Jewish dad, I can tell you, it's not that you can't do anything on the Sabbath. It's you can't make money on the Sabbath. You can cook food, invite people over. You can move the tables and the chairs in place. You can have a family go out and play football. But you can't make money on the Sabbath because that one day we're supposed to celebrate what God has provided the other six days. So this was a Sabbath step. So we're talking about, uh, Chad's here today from uh, Skyline San Diego. Luckily, he's not from San Diego. He's actually from Wisconsin, so he's pretty decent because he's going to be my new boss eventually. If we get to complete this, we'll be a satellite for Skyline Church San Diego. But Jeremy, our dear mutual friend Jeremy, when he started a church in San Diego, way back in the day, our church sent him money. The church we sent the money to wasn't Skyline. The church we sent the money to was called Seven San Diego. Because in the Bible, seven is completion. How many days in the week? And then is it magic sometimes? No. It just gives us a way to delineate time passing. You complete the week and you go again. You complete the week and you go again. In the Bible, the number seven is completion. So we take six days of creation, and then on the seventh day, God rested and declared it was good. So he took six steps, and on the seventh, they did a Sabbath pause. They didn't do that every six steps, or there would never be anybody arriving. But Sabbath is a gift, and if we miss it, frankly, we are miserable and we die early. We don't have to do Sabbath. We get to do Sabbath. So David is celebrating. King David, ceremonially dressed in priest's linen. Remember that. Dressed in priest's linen. You know, like me. And Jerry. Right? This is how, this is how priests dress today. Dressed in priest's linen, danced with great abandon before God. Now this is the basis of the marital disagreement we're about to get to. Danced with great abandon before God. He's the king. He took off the king stuff, put on the minister stuff, less impressive. And he danced. The whole country was with him as he accompanied the ark of God with shouts and trumpet blasts. This is exciting. The presence of God, we've got it back. We're not going to lose it again. Does anybody know where the ark of the covenant is? Yeah, they lost it. But it's not the point of today. But as the ark of God came into the city of David, Michael Saul's daughter, notice the Bible calls her Saul's daughter because she was. It doesn't mention also, as we're about to see, David's wife. So this was David's boss, King Saul. He's gone now, and David is now king. And he's married to his old boss's daughter. Notice she's not at the celebration. Saul's daughter happened to be looking out a window, happened to be looking out a window, This is supposed to be all-consuming. The whole crowd is excited. David feeds them rice cakes and raisin cakes. Just be thankful we live now. Can I get an amen? No, what kind of terrible diet that would be. But 
Everybody is there. They're celebrating. And she wasn't even there. Came into the city of David. If Jerusalem is named after your husband, there's a certain level of respect you might think is, well, Saul's daughter happened to be looking out the window. When she saw King David, notice, not her husband, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before God, her heart was filled with, what's this word? I know, it's not Jesus or prayer. Say it louder. Contempt. Have you seen the studies? There are experts in the field who can tell if a marriage is going to work within, I think it's 23 seconds of watching the husband and wife interact. And what they're looking for, the number one predictor of divorce, is contempt. If you've ever owned a teenager, you might be aware that it doesn't build a good relationship when you eye-rolling is not the basis of a strong foundation. That has to go away before the relationship can get strong again. I asked uh, one of my old guy friends one time, said, uh, man, these little kids are great. I'm going to really miss them when they're gone. And he said, no, you won't. And I said, why is that? He said, God gives you a tremendous blessing called the teenager years. And you're fine at the end of the teenager years for them to go. And then you reconnect with them when they have kids. Oh, I didn't know it worked that way. Eye-rolling, contempt. If your heart is filled with contempt, you've got to work on that for this marriage to work. You know, if you go to see a marriage counselor, go see Gabe down the street. If you go see the marriage counselor, what Gabe will tell you, where he'll start with you is, you just saved the first session, is why did you first like each other? What about it? Did what about them? What about the situation that you once loved is now gone? Well, I used to love their sense of humor, and now, now I just think they're annoying. Well, let's go back to appreciating the sense of humor, or whatever it was. She had contempt. Verse 20, David returned home to bless his family. So he's done the rice cakes, he's celebrated with everybody, he's been the king, and now he's going home. Michael, Saul's daughter, again, not listed as his wife, came out to greet him. Well, this sounds great, doesn't it? Honey, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to be at the big party today. You did a great job. Biblical sarcasm. How wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, just dripping with contempt and sarcasm. Exposing himself to, exposing himself can you imagine what Old Testament priestly robes are like? There's no look. Nobody wants to see a priest in a low-cut anything. Can I get an amen? They're... Yesterday, I think I'm funny, and my wife often agrees. My hands were especially cold yesterday, and so I walk up to my hot check, and every square inch of her flesh is covered except for like here and above. And so I just touch her neck. And she jumped back and said, why did you think touching me there was a good idea? And I said, well, because where I wanted to touch was all covered. And you know what? She gave it to me, right? Amen. That is the best part. 24 years, still good. The priestly robes, there's no low cut, exposing yourself. But the thing is, she wasn't talking about exposing flesh. What she was talking about was she was, as you recall, King Saul's daughter. And she lived in being the daughter of the king. And what she knew was 
the turmoil that can happen, a big part of the king's job. This applies to your home and to your job. A big part of the king's job, the person in charge, is to have a presence about them that defeats the chaos. There's a dignity about the boss position. That's what she was talking about. And then she says, exposing himself to the eyes of the servants' maids like some burlesque street dancer. Oh, it's on. Michael had a fair point. You're the king. Act like it. It's important. A crazy king equals chaos, and we fear chaos. When we don't quite know if there's trouble at work, there's a new boss coming in, or there's a, a shift in job, or there's someone in your, that, in your dear circle that's really sick. Ooh, chaos, uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty, unpredictability, feeling out of control. We don't like that. Michael just said to her husband, let me remind you, you have the responsibility to act like a king. And it's such a great point that I would imagine King David responded with, you know what? You're right, dear. Right? Can I get an amen? It's in the Bible. These are biblical people. We've called David the man after God's own heart. Obviously, that's the reasonable, proper response, honey. That's a good point. David replied to Michael, in God's presence, I'll dance all I want. And the fight is on. David also has a fair point. David's point is, honey, the dancing wasn't about you. The Lord is our reason for unity. God is our defense against chaos. So above the king acting dignified in all circumstances is embracing God is here. Therefore, we are celebrating God is with us. And did David say that in a reasonable, rational way? Well, not if I know marriage fights. So David then says, he, God chose me over your father. And there it is. Your dad was in charge, lost the job for being stupid. Now I'm in charge. The Jeff Foxworthy, the old comedian, his old joke. The great thing about being married is when you get done running your spouses down, then you can just run their family down too, right? Now you can move, and your mother, right? You can really keep it going. I, I think my wife should be laughing less at all this, right? Like we've ever had a fight. And the rest of our family. So he chose me over your father and the rest of our family, which is an interesting little try to be reasonable in the middle of the fight. It's 100% true. David could have said, and the rest of your family. But he said, the rest of our family. Honey, we're in this together. This is my responsibility. Let me do my part. And made me prince over God's people, over Israel. Now, all of that is actually pretty reasonable. One could argue it could have been said a little bit better. Maybe after a brief pause. But he, what he said was good. And now... Sinner's going to sin. Look at this. Oh, yes, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. As far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. Now, the point is, when something goes wrong, we are quick to complain. Are we going to be quick to do an equal and opposite celebration? No. David is saying, this time, I'm trying to do a celebration worthy 
When, when I woke up in the middle of the night and my family wasn't dead, can you imagine the anguish if they had been? Actually, it wasn't that they were dead. I was dreaming that we came back this summer from San Diego, which was true, in our old Honda minivan, which is true. And it was 128 degrees, which was true, and the van died. And that's when I sat bolt up right in bed because cell phone reception's a little spotty. I told somebody about that dream this week, and they said, oh, did you dream about the part where the truck driver picks up your family and takes them away and you never see them again? No. <laughs> I don't watch those kind of movies, but... I will never sleep again. So David's point is we should celebrate. This is a big event. Can we celebrate without guilt? Can we take a Sabbath pause from responsibility and just celebrate? Although we have some people that normally sit right there that aren't here today because they're doing a celebration later. Cross-country team for the school did really well. They went to state. The state winner was on the team. Good for Miles. So we're all going over to their house later. Last night, they went out to dinner. When they got home, the dog had gotten the chocolate sauce and spread it all over their expensive carpets. So you know what? It didn't sound like they were celebrating, to be honest. But that's why they're not here today. Whoopsie. Well, we're quick to have the anguish when things go poorly. Are we as quick to celebrate appropriately? They went to state. Miles won. We're going to have a celebration. That's great. And then David treads into some territory. Look at this. But among these maids, young women, you're so worried about, honey, I'll be honored no end. It will not shock you to learn that the marriage did not go well after this. Fellas, if she points out you've embarrassed yourself among young women, don't respond about the young women. How do you know? You didn't notice them. Can I get an amen? You don't bring it up. So Anne seen 3,000 years ago. Now it's over to us. Celebrating with God in the middle of this life because we can focus so intently on what is wrong. So what do we talked about? Rick Warren says life isn't about ups and downs like we think. It's a railroad track. There's always good. There's always less good going on but both at the same time. And we can, we can decide what we focus on. The windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror in the car, right? We're supposed to be focusing on where we're going. We're supposed to have goals and dreams that are so big that the fact that there's trouble that we've just come through, we can, we can accept that. It's all part of the adventure. And in the middle of this crazy life that we live, we keep labeling things good and bad. Well, that was a good thing. That was a bad thing. But we all have stories where something we thought was a bad thing years later turned out to not be a bad thing. So we'll end with this. If we're looking for trouble, we can find trouble. If we're looking for reasons to be happy, we can find reasons to be happy. So we'll end with this one. Some of you have heard it many times. Most of you haven't heard it at all. So we're in Midtown. This was years ago. Back then, I was a young man. And one of the old guys, like older than me now even, said, my son has come into our midweek men's group, and he's a missionary in Africa. So I instantly had several pictures. One, no people skills. Can I get an amen? Alberta spent years as a missionary in Africa. She has great people skills. I thought, oh, he's coming to a church that his dad and mom attend. I, so I said to the missions board, can we write him a check? So they had a check ready for him. 
And then he comes to the, the group, and he's a very normal-looking person, and he uh, met his wife and kids. They all were little kids. They were all great, great people skills. And so I went to slide the check to him, and um, I, I don't even remember if he took it. But I said to him, why are you a missionary in Africa? Implying that he didn't have to be. It's kind of difficult over there. His job was to fly an airplane from one not necessarily great airport to another, flying um, his missionary group missionaries around Africa. So this little old Cessna plane, he would fly them all around Africa. That was his role. And he said, here's why we love raising our kids in Africa. So he said, there's this village that we see all the time, and the leader of the village has become a Christian. And he said, this is like a movie village, like thatched roofs, and you rely on the family goat. It's that kind of village. Nobody has any money. There's no health insurance. Nobody, they're, they're just eking out from the land their life, and it's a village, and they have to protect themselves from other villages attacking, the whole bit. He said, this is what you would expect. He said, there's very modern Africa. This is not. I said, so you're there because, and he said, here's why. So my wife and I saw this a year or two ago, and we talk about it all the time. He said, so the, the leader of the village, his little girl got really sick. Well, I have an eight-year-old. I can appreciate just dreaming about it scared me. So she was sick. So they got all of the village together, and they all prayed, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they cried out to God to heal the little girl. And so he's telling me the story, and he said, and she got better. And he said, and in America, we would say, all right, God, that's once. Don't let that happen again. And he said, in Africa, in this village, they took the, the, the head of the village, they took the family goat. They milk the goat. When it gets old, they eat the goat. But by then, they have to replace it with a new goat. And they took their healthy goat, and they sacrificed the goat. And they threw a huge party. And they invited all the friends that prayed, and they celebrated and say, Yay, God, look what he's done. And he said, That's why I want my kids to grow up in Africa, so they can appreciate that God is at work in the world, and I just take it all for granted and be upset about the little bumps in the road that happen. So for years around here, we have talked about how do we sacrifice the goat? What do we need to celebrate? When we do staff meetings, we'll talk about, okay, what's the dumb thing you said? Well, I've got one, right? There's always something. You, you will leave here today, and if you spend time talking to somebody, there will be one thing that later you'll go, huh, I hope that landed the way I meant for it to land. Or maybe this is just a New Yorker's curse. I don't know. But here, we can be upset with God pretty fast. Years ago when I was becoming a minister, one of the old guys said to me, Ted, here's how it works. Somebody gets disappointed with God because they think of God as Santa Claus, not as the Heavenly Father who's trying to create them into the person they were created to be for all of eternity. We think, I'm good. Santa, Santa God, what I need is, and I'll be back to you tomorrow with more of the list. And so then something goes wrong. Something drastically goes wrong. The little girl doesn't get better, and then they get mad at God. And he said, Ted, you know what you are? You're the local representative. 
I would like to resign from that job. He said, it doesn't work that way. To sacrifice the goat, that's what the marriage argument was about between David and Michael. What's the proper amount of celebration? And the answer is, the proper amount of celebration is the amount that makes us remember that God is with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have some things going on. You have created some pretty remarkable people. It is a joy to know them. But I know that they have things going on. May each of us have the courage to trust you. There is a lot of uncertainty. But what we have is the complete rock of salvation in you. If there's anybody who doesn't know you today, that ABC approach to the relationship with you, A is to admit that sinner is going to sin. And we do all the time. We build our own kingdom. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who forgives us, makes us worthy of the kingdom of God. And C is to choose to follow you. What would we do if we knew that as a child of the king, we ultimately cannot fail? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody say, amen.